two Bible readings today. The first one is from Psalm 86, verses 8 to 13. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any words like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. The second Bible reading is from Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. O the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has the, given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For for him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Thanks, Pipes. Good morning, church. It's um, good to be together again. Thanks, Shane, for the worship and... Phil for leading as well this morning. And uh, before I start, a couple of weeks ago, um, it was my birthday and there was a, you know, John was, um, congratulated me on screen. I get to return the favour today. Today is John Scout's birthday, people. So um, if you remember, send him a message. Let's flood him with messages. Um, not just because I'm returning the favour, but because he deserves it. Um, John has been one of our leaders here uh, in position and, and not even in positional leadership, but still a leader for so long and someone who's loved One Hope, served One Hope and the people in One Hope. And John, we congratulate you on your birthday and we're so glad you're part of our community. So happy birthday. Hope you have a great day. Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Andrew and um, I'm a pastor here and yeah, it's my privilege to share the word with you this morning. And this morning we are going to continue on in our Uniquely Reformed series. We've got a, a couple more to go there. And we're going to look at um, as we race towards Christmas. And um, I was looking, uh, this, I was sitting in my office this week and realizing how quickly Christmas is coming and how much is, is coming up ahead of us. Um, but for today, we want to be able to focus on this. You know, we've looked at a few things and principally we, we've been looking at, we've sort of spent a fair bit of time on the five points of Calvinism. <clears throat> for, you, for those of you that have been watching and worshipping with us. And I just want to say thanks to Martin for rounding that out last week for us. Uh, and he spoke to us on the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of us as the saints. And it was a really great and encouraging message and we're thankful that you shared it with us, Martin, and we, we know that God has used it and helped us understand uh, more of how he interacts with us and how much he loves us. But we've also looked at a few other areas of doctrine. We talked about de denominations. We talked about the concept of hell and, and different parts of practice. And I'm not sure about you, but these teachings, the more I, I look at them and listen to them and, and read to, to, to bring them, the more they leave me with this ever-growing picture of God, and this in so many different ways, not just you know God up there in heaven, but this growing picture of God that He is uh, involved um, with me, with us, that He's in intentional, that that He's He's full of purpose, and 
and that he's intimate and that, that even though he, he rules all things and he's all great, he's, he's super intimate with me and you. Um, he's all powerful. He's super gracious and merciless. He's relentless as he goes after us to bring us into the kingdom. He's caring and, fa- and so many more adjectives. The one thing that's this, this is the, the kind of the residue, if you like, of what this has left me with is this sense of a bigger picture of God and a, and a broader and wider picture of God. And I really pray that that's the case for you as well. Today I've titled the sermon, All of My Life. For the glory of God. Now we know that all of life for the glory of God. It's a it's quite a known saying amongst um, perhaps in our reform circles or when I was growing up, we knew that you know we we knew that statement. All of life for the glory of God. Everything is for God's glory. And I wanted to talk about that, but I put the my in there in brackets because I think that's really important because it's something that we need to own that all of my life is for the glory of God. And I want to look at that this morning. But also, want to look at where does this come from? Where, where you know, if this is a known saying that we've been that we've known in our circles for for a long time, and many churches do, by the way, where does it come from, or what's it rooted in? For us, it comes out of the reformed doctrine of God. Now, that's what's that? You might ask, what is the doctrine of God? That's a really big statement, isn't it? Well, basically, it's just our understanding of God, His character, His attributes. Uh, and, and what we know about him, the doctrine of God, what we understand about him. And these things, these, these attributes and, and characters are anchored in God's sovereignty. And we might use phrases like the sovereignty of God. You might have heard that before. We might have talked about that before. Or we might have said things like, you might have heard things like, God is sovereign over all. And if I was to define sovereign for you, If you look in the the dictionary or online, sovereign means supreme and ultimate authority and power. So, if we were to say that God is sovereign, we're actually saying that He is the supreme authority, the ultimate authority and power in our lives. Now you might sort of say, well, isn't that pretty much what every mainstream denomination would say? Isn't it pretty much the same as every church would say and agree? You know, if we were to say, do you believe God is sovereign? They might say, well, yeah, of course God is sovereign, right? And many and most mainstream denominations would say that. However, this is what R.C. Sproul says, and you'll see the quote on the screen. The reformed doctrine of God sets us apart from other traditions. For I know of no other theology that takes seriously the doctrine of God with respect to every other doctrine. In most systematic theologies, you get an affirmation of the sovereignty of God on page one of your theology text. But then once you move on to soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, or eschatology, doctrine of last things, anthropology, doctrine of humanity, and so on, the author has seemingly forgotten what he said about God's sovereignty on page one. What does he mean? What is he, what is he saying there? He's saying that the reformed doctrine of God is the foundation of all other doctrines we hold. Or if you like, the Reformed doctrine of God informs or overlays all the other doctrines in all other areas of life. We can't say that God is sovereign and then decide that we will claim sovereignty over other parts of our lives. 
For example, one we talked about recently. Let me help you get a picture of this. If God is sovereign, then He controls, and He's in control, and He determines salvation. That's that big word, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. If God is sovereign, then He's the one that controls and determines salvation, not us. We learned that recently when we were looking through the five points of Calvinism. There might be other theological viewpoints, and we know of them, and other, other um, perhaps understandings that might say something like, we can do, uh, we can or we do help. We talked about that when we talked. We talked about some understandings of theology say that we have a role to play in salvation. Or we can control it. We respond. However, in our understanding, the doctrine of God, in our understanding of the doctrine of God, God's sovereignty would then be disempowered. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is that the doctrine of God, our understanding that God is sovereign, overlays and trumps, if you like, every other doctrine we hold. Every other doctrine becomes subject to God's sovereignty. So our, our understanding or doctoral viewpoints on theology um, are informed and influenced by the sovereignty of God. As are other practical things. It's not just those big doctrines of salvation and that. Humanity, humans. If we think about humans, how we see our importance or, or our purpose in the world. For example, the world would try to attempt to teach you five things. I was reading a, an article or a, a study and it was about the family in, um, in terms of the, um, growing a family. But the world would teach our children or would, might teach us five things. Life should be easy. You are important. Number three, your life is about you. Number four, you can control your life. And number five, try to live forever. Well, the sovereignty of God definitely corrects at least number two, three, and four. You know, you are important. Doctrine of God says, no, you are not important. God is important. God is the most important thing. Number three, where the world says that your life is about you, God's sovereignty tells us our life is not about us. It's about Him. It's about bringing glory to Him. And number four, you can control your life. Well, God's sovereignty would say to us that you don't control your life. God controls your life. So the sovereignty of God corrects at least two or three of those uh, life statements. And the whole thing, life is hard. You know, they say life should be easy. Well, life is hard. In reality, the Bible tells us that life can be hard as well. And the Bible tells us that we are going to die. You are not going to live forever. And the good news for us, though, because we have a sovereign God, we are going to live forever with Him, but not here on this earth. And what about things like the Holy Spirit, obedience, um, mission? Those things become subject to the sovereignty of God, that God is over all those things. Family, marriage, relationships, work, business, career, life ch choices, church, all of those things where we form understandings, where we form practices, etc., those things come under the sovereignty of God in our understanding. That God controls them. He's in charge of those things. Each of these areas and more come under the sovereignty of God and God's will for us. Phew, that, that's big, isn't it? When you think about that, when you think about 
you know, if God is sovereign over those things, then He is the one. He's the, the one that we, we access to ask about every one of those areas, that we evaluate whether those things are good or whether we're, whether we're thinking the right way about them by the way they reflect on Him. We begin to ask His opinion on things. We look at the bigger, we're asking for the bigger picture, His picture. On family, on career, on business. Why are we in business? Why do we choose a career? Why do we choose a life partner? What's marriage about? What about obedience? What, you know, what's my obedience about? It's, it's about God's glory. But applying this stuff is not always easy. At least I, I don't find it easy. And I'm thinking that that's probably true for a lot of people. Because when we want to be consistent and apply this stuff, it isn't easy. And it can explain how we see the emergence of, you know, even in the Christian world, what we might call liberal denominations or liberal movements or church movements or emerging movements. But it would also explain inconsistencies in our own lives as well, if we were going to be honest, can't it? God's sovereignty is not always understood. It's not always accepted. It's not always comfortable, is it? God being sovereign isn't always a, a comfortable place to be. It's not always popular or palatable. You know, when you, when you evangelize and when you tell people, you know, that you need to surrender your life to God, that your life goals need to be subject to what God's goals are for you, that's not really palatable. That's not really popular, particularly in the generation we're in nowadays. That your business needs to be for God. That your career choice, that your, what, your gifts and your talents, it's not easy, it's not popular. And what it does is it, it lifts the threshold. It seems to lift the threshold instead of what we're trying to do, lower the threshold. It seems to make Jesus less accessible. And we have this, this need to make Jesus reachable. We want to make, instead of aspiring to be like Jesus, we, we find it easier to bring Jesus down to our level because then we can, we can relate with him easier. Because after all, he understands us right. We want God's sovereignty to fit our modern desires. And we use language like, you know, he meets us where we are. Which sounds really good, doesn't it? God meets us where we are. And Jesus meets us where we are. But what if we're to meet Him where He's calling us to be? You might hear churches or, or faith movements use language like, you know, and, and I confess, and I've used language like this before, we're called to live our lives with God. Sounds okay, doesn't it? But the Reformed language would be we're called to live our lives for God. And there's a difference, isn't there? There's a distinct difference there. Now, I'm not trying to bash other churches. And, and I've said before in, 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 uh, in some of my uh, sermons as well, that we have much to learn in our denomination. And pride is a sin. And we need to be willing to see that even though God's sovereignty, the doctrine of God, that this is our doctrine or at least we say it is, we don't always live it either, in thought or in action. And the other thing to remember that's really important is understanding these things, the doctrine of God and God, these do not save us. So we need to be really careful, and we spoke about that once before. These things don't save us. There is no Jesus plus the right understanding of doctrine, or Jesus plus the right practice of doctrine, or Jesus plus the right denomination. 
It's only Jesus. And we need to be humble and remember that as well. It doesn't make understanding doctrine unimportant, but it doesn't save us. And so we share with other Christians and we look at other Christians who might see things differently and we say that Jesus saves. But here's how we understand we live our life, all of our life, for the glory of God. You know, the Puritans um, back in, and I read a little bit about the Puritans this week, and it's interesting reading if you're interested. And they said, they used that statement first in the 16th and 17th century, all of life is for the glory of God, to be lived for Him alone. And not just in thought, and not just in opinions or ideas, and not just even in faith, but in all of life, in work, in family, in the way that they, they worked in their neighbourhoods, the way that they socially engaged and got involved in society. And this came out of the struggle that, uh, of the 16th and 17th century that the Puritans had watching the church, because the church was intrinsically linked with, with, with the government and with society, watching the compromise around them, the watering down of the faith in the Church of England in, in uh, the UK. And they would say, they had said, God is sovereign and must be the one who we live for in every single area. Politics, in work, in church, in health, in home, in family. And it can be argued that sometimes the Puritans went a little bit too far in, in terms of separatism. And, and there's some valid arguments there as well. But you get the picture. But their understanding of the sovereignty of God and all of life for the glory of God was instrumental in shifting the faith life of the church and the focus back to God. Again, great reading if you get a chance to do any on that. So being consistent for them, and, and I think for us, is it, it meant that it's necessary for Christians to engage in all life spheres, which they did. They got involved in politics, in medicine, in education, uh, in, in local government, in, in family, in, in um, um, social welfare. They got themselves involved in all spheres of life. And if we're going to live all our life for the glory of God... That's a consistent outworking, isn't it? To engage. Okay, so why is this all so important for us to, be, to know about and to be reminded of? Well, for one, if our doctrine of God is not consistent and is not all-encompassing, or we don't really understand it, or we don't really apply it, which is, you know, I need to confess that I've not always applied it, but if, if we're not consistent and if we don't understand the doctrine of God and apply it well, and God then is not really sovereign, remember, possessing ultimate authority and power, what happens? We will and we do create other gods to be glorified in any particular area. What am I saying? If God is not sovereign... Then I will. I am. Humans are made to worship or to follow something. If God is not sovereign, then I will create. We will create some other god or some other thing to follow, to be glorified. Remember, to be glorified is to be pointed to, to be to be the focus of attention, to be the one that gets every gets all the attention and and gets all of the the sight and the looks. We will create other things to fear. We'll elevate other things and other someones or some things in our life. And that's why understanding the doctrine of God, that our role is to glorify God, that He's sovereign, that's why that's so important. 
You know, and for me, that other God is most often me. I don't know what that is like for you. But see, sin makes us the ones that want to be sovereign, that want to be glorified, that want to be all of my life is for my glory, all of my life is for, for me. Sin makes me want to do that. Sin makes self-glorification take place of glorifying God. Or self-preservation take the place of, of just glorifying God with my life. Or self-advancement. And when we're in that place, we don't easily say, all of my life is for the glory of God. Or we may say it, but we don't easily live it. So without making this a really long teaching, and there's a lot about the doctrine of God if you want to read more of that too. We need to see why God's glory is important. Why all of our life is to be for His glory. And there are a stack of reasons, but I wanted to pull out a few. Here are, here's a, first and foremost, here's one. Just because He deserves all the glory. Why is God's glory, why is it important that all of my life is for His glory? Because He deserves it. He did so much. You know, if you look across our last few weeks of teaching and preaching, on the uniquely reformed, but even with a couple of guests preaching, we've seen that he's done so much to set us apart. He's done so much to bring us into the kingdom, to give us and to bring us salvation. And he didn't, hasn't just done so much, he does so much. And I think that's really important to understand as well. He keeps us. He protects us. He, he lives in us. And he's bringing us home. And so we want to glorify him. So the first reason it's important is because he deserves all the glory. The second is because we belong to him. He made us. He designed us. He knows what's best for us, doesn't he? He has an intended purpose for us. And it's like when you, when a designer designs something, when someone makes something, you know, if I grab a, a saw, you know, um, I'm, you know, a handsaw, and I have a nail and I want to hit this nail in the wood, I can bang it all the time with a saw and it's not going to work really well. There's a hammer designed for that. Um, and I've hurt myself with a hammer a few times in life as well. But you understand that we belong to God. We were designed and intended for a purpose. And you know, the Heidelberg Catechism speaks to us clearly about that, doesn't it? Those of you that know that, it says, I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my Saviour Jesus Christ. And our, humanity's, main goal, chief end, is to glorify God. So we belong to Him. He deserves it. We belong to Him. And because the third is because obedience is our love response. He draws us into relationship. He comforts us. He loves us. He nurtures us. He directs our lives. He corrects us and He disciplines us. And that is for us. The discipline isn't because he's angry and he's not like an angry parent that, that just needs to get rid of some anger. He disciplines us because he knows that it will steer us into a path that brings us into the best place. So obedience, glorifying God, being obedient to glorify him with all of my life is my love response. Fourth, this is how the world gets to see God. When we glorify God, that's how the world that's how God is displayed to the world. When we glorify Him, we're telling the world of a great and a loving God. This is, the, this is the ultimate mission. This is the ultimate evangelism, isn't it? The ultimate show and tell, if you like. 
That when we glorify God, when our life is for the glory of God, we show the world how great God is. When my life is for the glory of me, and you know it is often, sometimes, then I'm showing the world the glory of Andrew. Or we're showing the world the glory of ourselves, what I can do, what, what I want to do, or what I can understand, or what I believe. But we're called to show the glory of God. That's evangelism. That points people to God. You know, and I, you know, oftentimes in my YWAM days, we would go and we'd go on street evangelism, and we'd often wonder why didn't people respond to God, or why couldn't they see God? I wonder sometimes whether we're busy showing God who we are, or who our churches are, or what we understand, rather than just the glory of God, how great God is. This is how the world gets to see God. Fifth, because his kingdom is the most important thing, more important than our kingdom, than my kingdom and your kingdom. We are, spoke, we are to glorify God with all our lives because his kingdom is, not, is most important. And this is not new. You're thinking, oh, I've heard that before. And me too. But, oh boy, my kingdom creeps in all the time. Again and again and again. Our role, my role... And your role in and for his kingdom must be primary above every other role, every other relationship, every other goal or dream or fear that we have must be subject to our role in the kingdom of God, our call in the kingdom of God. And there's plenty of other reasons why God's glory is most important, but I have one more and I really like this one. And this is important. Why is it important that all of my life is for the glory of God? Because this is how we best enjoy God. When our life works best. When our life is most fruitful. Even when we don't see it. Even when it doesn't look like it by earthly uh, estimations or, or you know, of, of current cultural measurements. Or even though the world would tell us there's a better way. When we glorify God. When God is sovereign in my life and all of my life is for His glory. That's how I best enjoy God. When we live to glorify our maker and designer, when he gets to rule, we can enjoy and live fulfilled lives. Now I was thinking about that. Enjoy? Is, is that a thing? Are we supposed to enjoy? Well, it is. I really believe it is. You know, and I, I know what we just said that, you know, I'm not my own. I belong body and soul. And they might seem like they're in conflict should I enjoy? Should I be looking for comfort? Should I be looking for fulfillment in my life? I should if I'm out to glorify God. The Westminster Catechism says this. Man's, and I put humanity there in brackets, it doesn't say that, but man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Notice that these are not separate. There's not two chief ends or two potential ends to glorifying God. That it could be enjoy God and it could be, um, it could be enjoy God and to be glorifying. There's, there's not two chief ends for humanity. These two make up one end or goal for us as humans. We glorify God and we enjoy Him forever. They go together. They must go together. If one is achieved or exists than the other does too. John Piper wrote about this and he said this, and I've got a quote up for you. I believe that God is most glorified in his justified people, that's us, when those justified people are most satisfied in him. And I believe that the pastors and theologians who wrote the great summary of the Reformation teaching in the Westminster Catechism 
were giving expression to this as well when they said, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. They did not say that our goal is to glorify God, but to glorify God and enjoy Him. And they did not call glorifying and enjoying two ends, but one singular end. You know, and that just points to how complete God is in His planning and understanding of us as humans. That just shows us that glorifying God is not about God needing His tires pumped or anything like that. But that He knows when we are full out, when we're sold out to glorify Him, that we will then enjoy Him forever. We will be fulfilled in what He has for us. When we live lives that are surrendered to God's rule, which glorifies Him, then we enjoy Him. We enjoy His work in our lives. We enjoy the life that He gives us. We enjoy the people that He gives us to be with. He, the things that He gives us, the, the talents, the gifts, the skills, the, the material possessions, the resources, we enjoy all those. We enjoy the opportunities He gives us. And I could go on. When we subject... And when we give all the other areas of our lives, our talents, our skills, our gifts, our resources to His will, to His Lordship. And all these good things are actually the means that we use to bring glory to Him, right? Our skills and our gifts and everything. When we give them to Him, when we recognise Him, we are fulfilled. When we don't, we deny His rule. We deny His place. When we don't acknowledge or recognise Him, when we're more concerned about others or, or, or about ourselves, what others might say about us or what others might think about us or, or more concerned about ourselves, then enjoyment is lost. That follows, right? Our good things become wasted. It's like a good game of soccer, isn't it? The ref rules. Um, and you learn that in soccer. You learn that very quickly. That the ref is the ultimate authority and everything in the game is subject to to the referee. All the skills that you have, all the practices, all that training you did, all those, that fancy footwork that, that you learnt, and all that ball skill, all those strategies that you got together as a team to figure out, all those things are really good and really necessary. But they need to be subject to the authority of the ref and the rule of the ref. If everyone had a bit of a different standard, everyone said, well, we're going to go this way, we're going to do this, the game would not be enjoyable anymore. There needs to be someone that's ruling, someone that's designing. It's not a, an absolutely perfect example, but it helps you understand that all of our good things, which are good, need to be subject and used to bring glory to God. Because only then does the game work. Only then does enjoyment come and life is fulfilled. So I want you to think of your life. I, think, I want you to think of all of your life for a moment. What does that entail? Think about that. What are some of the things that are all of your life? People, dreams, fears, skills, relationships, your career, a business perhaps, a passion that you might have, a calling that you feel is, uh, is upon you, maybe some life goals you have, your future, security, safety, Think of all of your life. Is God sovereign? Really? Do you often or at all consider how these things, all of these things 
in your life could be directed in a way that points to and glorifies God. Do you stop and think about that? When I make a career choice, when I hang out with friends, when I um, deal with a fear that I've got, or when I... Do you stop and think? Do you think, now, how could this bring glory to God? How should this bring glory to God? Do you pray about that? And, you know, often we don't. And yet, this is what the... The doctrine of God. This is what the sovereignty of God is all about. Or are there other gods that slip in? Or that we build our life on? Other people? In my life, it's most often me, as I said. I can get so caught up in my own self-importance, in my own relevance in life. You know, look, I'm a Christian and I like to think that I'm doing good things for the kingdom. And I'm not suggesting that, that we consistently fail all the time. I like to think that I point to God, but truthfully, often I'm, I'm often more concerned for my, own, for my own glory, for my own recognition, perhaps my own success. I'm often not willing to give my fears to, to God because I want to hang on to them, because I don't know that he's going to, I can trust him with them. Can you identify with that? Glorifying God really is an all-of-life thing. You actually can't half-believe that God is sovereign, I discovered. You can't half-believe that God... Or you can't half-apply that belief that God is sovereign. And I do, and we do, need realigning every now and then. And God's Word shows us in so many ways that our lives can. And so many contexts to do it. And here's just a few. I grabbed a few scriptures to help us to see what the Bible says about bringing glory to God. And the first one is in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You know, we look at body image, and we look at how we deal sexually in the world, and, and all of the things that we put into, all the things that we eat, and the things that we put into our body. Glorify God with our body. That's how we can glorify God. Another way is when we do mission in, in Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When the world sees the things that you do and you point to God and you say, I'm doing this for the glory of God, they'll see and they'll give glory to God in heaven. When we do mission, that's how we can glorify God. We can glorify God by the way we live, uh, socially, etc. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's actually the catch-all for everything, isn't it? Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Even eating, drinking. When we worship, a couple of verses there, Romans 11 verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. That was in our reading today. Our worship brings glory to God. It's a special way that we can do it. In Revelations verse five, verse, uh, chapter 5 verses 12 to 13. You know, there's this picture of this worship, this God being glorified, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. When we worship, we glorify God. That's how you can do it. And we thank him, Psalm 50. The one who offers thanksgiving as he sacrificed glorifies me. And when you thank him, you're bringing glory to him. 
The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. When we serve, we glorify God. John chapter 15. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And there are so many other scriptures that shows us that the things that we do, and the people that we are, do and can actually bring glory to God, and should. So we're not left wondering how to make God sovereign in our life. We're not left wondering how all of my life can be for the glory of God. And ultimately, Christ himself led the way and he showed us, didn't he? Jesus did. He, his call, his task, his passion was to bring glory to his Father in heaven and point to the Father. He knew that his life here on earth was to glorify, to point to his Father. John chapter 17 verses 1 to 4 lets us in, gives us a peek at a prayer uh, and a conversation between Jesus and his Father. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Why? We read on, that they may know you, the only true God. We glorify God. Why? That they may know the only true God. And Jesus is our example. He's the one that showed us how to do that. Jesus knew his life was to be used to glorify God, to display God to the world, all of it, to tell of, to show and to teach his Father's love for his children and to be used in his plan of salvation. And that's how Jesus glorified God. And for us, the recipients of that salvation, the example to follow for us is Jesus. We have that same command to glorify God, the same uh, the same task that was given to Jesus to glorify the Father is given to us. Display God to the world by glorifying Him. Now for Jesus, it took all of His life, literally. It took His life. And for us, we must also use all of our life to glorify God. And the good news is, He helps us to do it. We have not been left alone. We've got... We've got the Bible, Scripture, full of ways that encourage us to do that. But more than that, He's given us His Holy Spirit to live in us. To enable us to glorify Him. To help us. We don't have to do this in a vacuum. We don't have to do this unassisted. And it's really easy to subject our lives and our doctrines and opinions to a sovereign God. Who's a God of unshakable character. Look through history, his character has never been maligned. It's easy to subject our lives to a God of amazing power and insight. It's easy to glorify a God, to give all of our lives to a God of incredible faithfulness and love and care. And it's easy to give all of our life to a Father who will and is taking us home to be with him forever. 
where we will glorify him forever. Why wouldn't I and why wouldn't you want to live all of our lives for, a glory, for the glory of a father and a God like that? For this God. Why would we not want to glorify him and enjoy him forever when he is such a good God? That's why the doctrine of God, God's sovereignty, is so important for us to remember and to understand. As we walk through life, it seems like sometimes our life is so distant from, from faith, or so the, the experiences we have in life seem so distant, so far removed from a God of glory. Yet they're not. He is intimately with us every moment of the day. He's given us all we have. And He asks us to use that to bring glory to Him. The good things, and sometimes even the not so good things in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word again this morning. We want to acknowledge your greatness and your goodness. We want to acknowledge that, our, um, that you are a God of glory, that you are a sovereign God. We want to acknowledge and recognize that you are an intimate, loving, caring involved, intentional God. Lord, we want to acknowledge sometimes that we live our life as if that isn't so, as if we're the ones that need to make this work, that we're the ones that need to make all the big decisions, that we're the ones that, that need to decide who gets the glory. And Lord, we need to acknowledge that oftentimes we end up deciding that we need to get the glory, that we need to honour the things in ourselves that, that we feel most important. But Lord, we want to say this morning that we want to give all of our lives for your glory, for your kingdom. And Lord, we want to recognise that, that you don't leave us alone in that and be thankful for that. We want to thank you that you um, have not called us to do something and then left us unassisted. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you live in us, that you direct us, that you direct our attention to Father God, that you remind us of the salvation that Jesus wrought for us, brought for us, and that you help us daily with the little things, our life, the things that to us might seem so unimportant in the scheme of the whole world, but are really important to you, that you help us to live those things for the glory of God, all of our life for God's glory. Lord, teach us um, increasingly to learn how to do this, to learn how to speak to you about this, to call upon you, and to be open to hear you as you direct us. And we thank you that you do and you will. In Jesus' name, amen.